Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. So last summer, um, the study abroad was in Italy and was um, studying art and anatomy in the Renaissance. And essentially, we had three like locations um, that were our primary home base. It was Florence, Milan, and Rome. And each location kind of houses different aspects of like um, the Renaissance art. And um, we looked at a lot of different sculptures and just kind of helped to develop our contextual analysis skills and formal analysis and kind of find the intersection of art and anatomy, which there's a lot more of one than most people think. And it was pretty cool. I automatically think about Plato when we come to this, this area. Is that accurate or am I wrong? Is it was that guy um, or was it Socrates? I thought it was Plato. Um, I think that's more philosophical. Uh, I we Plato was like super anatomy based. Um, was one of the first guys to do anatomy. Am I am I getting this entirely wrong? Um, I'm gonna look it up. Um, Plato and anatomy. I know we mostly were talking about like um, Michelangelo and Bellini and like a lot of those artists that kind of like oftentimes it was sculptures and other times it was paintings. Um, we talked about like Caravaggio, a lot of different like artists. Very there. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely wrong. Um, <laughs> <It's cool. okay. laughs> I can be wrong. It's okay. Um all right. So how long were you in Italy? And then like the combination of art and anatomy seems I don't know, it seems so abstract, but so not, it seems like such a weird area of study. Yeah. So I, it was last May, I was in Italy for about a month. Um, it's kind of for, at the front of my mind though, as I just like took a trip back with um, my partner and we kind of went to similar places, but I was there for about a month last year and it was very interesting because my background is in movement science and psychology. So, you know, I had an anatomy course in high school. I had an anatomy course in college and well, actually several as well as like very much structural things just being presented. Obviously that's what anatomy is, but not too much kind of talking about the history of like how we got to understand our anatomy or how we've um, like depicted it throughout history. And that was something that was super intriguing about this course or this like study abroad program for me was that um, I also was a history minor, history of uh, medicine and health. So kind of seemed like the perfect intersection of exploring like how exactly is it depicted and a lot of times like we see like photos or drawings or you go to a doctor's office and you see like the classical uh musculoskeletal anatomy in their office or the pt office whatever you want to say 
Um, and like, how did we get there? Like, obviously now today we have x-rays and we have CT scanners and all of these different things, but like initially, you know, how did people grow to understand the body and, and especially like, you know, just recently was the ethical stuff kind of implemented. Like how did they do like dissections and different things like that way back um, in the Renaissance. So that was like some of the stuff that we would look at or just like how things were depicted in history too. It seems so medieval, I guess, the cutting people yeah. open just after either cutting them, uh, I guess, closing them up while they're, while they're still alive or um, just, gathering bodies and like let's see what this is and like i wonder like what that process was of like getting tools and picking things up and putting them down it's like well what is this nerve or what is this i don't know if it was that detailed or was it mainly just like big picture stuff was it just like oh this is what the quadricep is and is made of four different things i would say from what we learned it was a little bit of both in that um i mean granted this program we talked a lot of about a lot of different things, but I know one of the places we went, I cannot remember what, there were so many museums and so many like um, different things that we looked at, but one of them I remember had the like nervous system, just like the whole nervous system out in front of you. And it's like, just looks like a bunch of little branches. It's exactly how you would kind of like imagine a little like neuron would look, but seeing that like totally dissected from a human like way back it's like preserved whatever um was really cool so that's like one side of things another side was um we got to go into one of the anatomical dissection theaters in i believe it was padua um it might have been bologna but um they have this dissection theater and that obviously does not have stuff occur there anymore but like that's how people would learn is they would come in like doctors rather people trying to learn to become these physicians or like apply this anatomy even artists would come in and watch someone typically the person on the table or the um cadaver on the table was like a prisoner or someone who was a war criminal something like that um but they would come in and watch and learn literally as it's being dissected. And these things are a lot smaller than you would expect to like, it's a very small room. So that's kind of like two sides of it where it's more gross anatomy, but also the like, wow, we got to see the nerves. The, the more basic portion, I guess. Right. Um, mm -hmm. How old are those samples? Like the, the nervous system sample, how old of a sample is that? Oof. I, do not know off the top of my head. I know that I believe it's Drexel University has like another nervous system. Like I forget they have a name for her, but um, like there's I think there's only two or three. Oh, yeah. Dissecting Harriet Cole. That's the one at Drexel. But I know that one was in like the 1800s. Um, and I imagine that the other one is probably older than that uh but i'm not I sure the, i was under the assumption that we weren't able to take those kind of samples until more recently uh, there's one that i got to see at 
Bali's in Las Vegas, the casino. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it was moved to because I think Bali was um, Bali's was demolished recently. And again, I could be wrong on that too, but um, it used to be. Let me turn that phone off real quick. Um, I went there and I got to see nerve endings and, and like you could see all the blood vessels, capillaries and everything inside of the entire body, like entire preservations of, of these basic systems that mm-hmm. I thought we could have only done in more recent times. Yeah, it, it is really quite astonishing. Just like all of the, um, all of the, capabilities that were around that we don't necessarily realize aren't as recent as we think. I mean, even when you're over there, like in, in Europe or in Italy, like you're looking at the Roman forum where it's just literally these columns that they like moved and put up, like, how did that all work too? So like, there's so much like, uh, in both, you know, uh, medical advancements as well as like engineering advancements that are super interesting that can really be dwelled or dived into over there. I know one of one thing that always fascinated me is in Rome there are um, specifically the Plaza del Popolo I think is what it's called, um, but there's a obelisk right in the middle of the um, plaza and it's an Egyptian obelisk and they moved that like during Napoleon's time, I believe it was. And just thinking about how they moved that, you know, like that's so beyond like today we see these log trucks on the road and are like, okay, well that makes sense. But <laughs> in a time with no cars, like that one's beyond me. <laughs> how long did it take and how did they get like, how did right. no sense, you know? And, Unfortunately, I don't know that we're ever really going to know. It's going to be like these wild guesses that we'll have forever. Exactly. But it, it, the same thing with like the Egyptian stones, right? For for the mm-hmm. for the pyramids, like they, they make no sense. They were traveled over miles and miles, over hills, over mountains, over waterbeds, and then they then they placed all of them from this one right. quarry all the way over fucking here. How does that make any sense? I don't really get it. Um, it, I don't know that we ever humans are astonishing, that's for sure. Yeah, they are. So how did you get into the world of kinesiology? Why was this an interest of yours to begin with? Yeah, so this is one of my favorite questions because I really think so much of my life has kind of like entangled into this. Um, but when I was in middle school, right before entering eighth grade, I actually had an eating disorder myself. Um, and during the recovery prior to that, rather, um, I had swam as, um, a younger child, but not like anything serious. There wasn't really any competitive sport or anything like that in my life other than swimming during the summer. But when I recovered from my eating disorder, I decided that, Hey, I didn't want to emphasize or focus my life so much on, getting smaller. I wanted to take up more space in the world, both figuratively and literally at that time as you're um, recovering. But following that, I actually stumbled upon powerlifting off of social media. And that's kind of where the spiral in the snowball just started to grow in terms of 
I started powerlifting um, on my own. My school didn't have any sort of program. It was a very niche field and sport, which still kind of is, but much smaller. Sorry, my cat's attacking the door. Um, but <laughs> that is okay. <laughs> um, and so as I dived into that and learned more, I found myself getting an online coach and kind of, you know, really getting involved in powerlifting, which was through uh, different meets. And then I ended up going to nationals. And then from there, I actually got uh, the opportunity to go to Worlds as a sub junior in 2018. And so all of this kind of came to the head of I was interested in anatomy already. I was interested in sciences already in high school. And then as I was looking for colleges, I decided that I found a place that I didn't realize was out there through powerlifting and through the passion for like the way the body moves um, in general and decided that I wanted to pursue that with um, education. So ended up applying to different kinesiology programs as well as psychology programs, though, because I was interested in the way the mind worked, too, and ended up basically at the University of Michigan studying movement science and psychology. So I actually combined both of them and taking that like the definition of kinesiology of like the like study of the way the body moves to very literally um, in terms of that's what I've enjoyed this entire time. Uh, I know I'll get people ask me like, well, like you weren't in sports growing up. And I'm like, no, you're like, well, your did your parents like sports? No, like my parents didn't play sports. Nobody was interested in sports. And they're like, how'd you get into it then? Honestly, the pure definition of kinesiology, the way the body moves. And that's like what's that. always interesting to me. That's fun. I, I like mm -hmm. that a lot. And, and so I have a question. I had a question. Yeah. I should have asked it when I kind of had it. I forgot. Um, damn. All good. So, I tend to go on. <laughs> I gotta be, I gotta be better as, as a, as a host to be like, hold on. I, I we're going so fast. There's so much here. Right. <laughs> um, so like, and then, and then breaking it down into those, into those pieces. Uh, but at the same time, like I want to hear all of it because I feel like the entire story as it goes throughout, like it's significant because it, it prompted a specific sequence of events for you to recall. Mm -hmm. Right. So like I'm, I'm between the two things, right. And there's value in both items, but whatever. Um, the, how did you find out that, that powerlifting was able to be done outside of high school? Yeah. So I, honestly, I think it was because of the way that I came across powerlifting. So my first exposure to powerlifting was someone who I don't think is in the sport anymore, but um, would share like her competitions on like social media. And that's kind of like the first exposure I had was just general USA pill. Uh, well, rather that was the federation, um, competitions. And when I realized a, both you could compete in it, but also that it didn't take like, granted, I was in almost to high school at this point. Like I knew picking up a, you know, a, a sport like 
softball or um or like lacrosse might be more difficult in terms of learning than something like you know um applying into the gym and i already was enjoying being in the gym so seeing that opportunity through like a national federation versus like only high school i think that's kind of how i fell upon it i didn't even know that there was a michigan uh high school powerlifting association until I think it was much later in my high school career. So I was already like in USAPL the whole time and never ventured into the high school territory. Wow. That's so cool. That's like the opposite for me. I didn't find out that USAPL existed until my senior year of high school. And I reached out kind of the same idea. I reached out. um, I wanted to, I knew I wanted to continue doing this thing because I just enjoyed it. I liked the way the body Mm -hmm. moved, had this like, like this is like the coolest thing. I, I get to see some cool people and I'm winning. I guess like, it feels good to win. Right. Um, right. And so I Googled support for Ben thinking is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code THINKING at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 16 million balls. I got my lawnmower and weed whacker recently and... I immediately put the weed whacker inside of my nostrils, no nicks, no snags, and I have never been able to smell things as good as after I used the crop, the weed whacker. The crop preserver makes my balls smell nice every single day that I'm in the gym, and of course, we love that. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THINKING at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THINKING. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Like powerlifting teams at University in Texas, right? And then like University of Texas came up and went and emailed them and then Preston Turner replied to me. And then I was just back and forth with Preston and he helped me get to my first meet at, at the Longhorn open in Texas at at the university. And then, um, I, I qualified for nationals that year. And then they sent me a coach for that national meet. And then I qualified for worlds like a month after high school state and then went to worlds that, that August it was, it was insane, yeah. man. It was the coolest thing. It, it, the fact that it existed outside of high school was so cool. That, and you're the opposite. You found out high school existed after you found out the national thing existed. It's cool. Yeah. And I was the only, I was really paving my own path in this, in that there was nobody from my, nobody else from my school that had done it. Um, our school didn't have a team or anything like wow. that. Um, and. Actually, they do, but it was much after I left that that started. But it's one of those things that I look at and I'm like, I hope that I played some like element of a role in snowballing that for some people. 
I think you definitely did. I 100%. Like, you put it on the map. You just make it a reality. Like, oh, we can do that? Like, that's a sport? And I, I think a lot of people didn't know it. And I think it's now such a large sport that people are kind of like, like, okay, I can do this. Uh, but it's, at the time, especially that young, nobody really knows what's what, like what's going on out there. Um, the yeah. fact that you were on social media and whoever that lady was, that was like, also obviously had an influence that you, you create these ripples effects on other people's lives. And I think it's like, it's being positive or being a, a good person. Like I, I like going to the cashier and be like, Hey man, how's it going today? You know? And right. it's that little, like you drop a little bit of a ripple that hopefully continues to, to go out and then they're nice to the next person. That person's days. You never know, you know, and right. it's the coolest thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's one of those things where you don't necessarily know your effect until later down the road or you don't know it at all kind of thing. And it's just something that's, you just hope. Yeah. Did, did the, did the eating disorder end up coming back into your life or was it part of like something you were conscious of when you were competing or when you started getting more involved in competitions? Yeah. So I, so in it, with an eating disorder, there's like, People will say like, oh, I'm recovering and that means different things for different people. But when I say like, oh, I was recovering, that was the point where I was like a actively trying to gain weight and be actively like having that enforced to some capacity or just oversaw or regulated by like family. And I was like an outpatient. But um, I say all of that to get to the premise that I, I actually don't actually don't believe that recovery ever like fully stops. I think that you have certain things that will always loom in the back of your mind. Um, and the way that I like to put it is just as you get further away from the, the, the onset from like the initial recovery period, if you continue, like if things continue as they are, which with my case, like I got into powerlifting, so it was actually very helpful. Um, if they continue down that road, as you get further away from the time, the initial onset, like you get less of those like looming thoughts. So I would say like during my high school years of powerlifting, it was a little bit more present because I was often cutting into competitions. It never got like um, to the point that it previously was. I wouldn't necessarily classify it as an eating disorder. It would probably fall more into disordered eating at that point. But where what I'm at today, much different. Oh, yeah. So the difference is um, an eating disorder is a diagnosis diagnosable like uh disorder that they'll utilize the dsm-5 for and then um disordered eating means you might have a couple typically means you might have a couple of these traits but it's not to the point that it's considered a diagnosable disorder like like uh, i think the way i think uh, automatically comes to my mind it's like depression versus clinically depressed right like depressed yeah. you can be depressed in a moment uh, versus a clinical depression would be like a set two weeks of feeling these symptoms right? exactly that's cool or a good example too for the eating area is um someone might specifically not eat up until you know noon 
and that you could frame that as intermittent fasting, but you could also frame that as disordered eating in terms of if they have negative mindset towards, well, I can't eat before 8 a.m. That's different than I am choosing not to eat before. or rather, I can't eat at 8 a.m. I'm ch- that's different than I'm choosing not to eat until noon because this is what how I view to be beneficial for my body. Gotcha. It's verbiage in the mind too, so it's there's a lot to it. <laughs> it's so it's such a it's so nuanced, but it I mean, but it does make a difference on how, on on an individual's perception of the relationship with food, and it's. Mm-hmm. Especially in this sport, I feel I always thought like, man, we're I was like, like I had I don't know I had eating disorder, but I had disordered eating for sure. Especially mm-hmm. around meats, it was like I'm going to only no salt, no none of these things, and I'm only going to have like 50 calories, 100 calories a day. I'm spitting all day. Like I put like Jolly Ranchers in my mouth to make me yeah. salivate and spit. <laughs> Um, any, like I would only eat ice chips if I was going to try to, if I was going to have water, uh, definitely like an extreme level of, of something that I don't think anybody should really have to do unless you're like, you're going to worlds and like, you're really, really trying to win something. Um, mm-hmm. outside of that, it's like, just let your body be what it's going to be. But I definitely experienced that. And thankfully I, I, I think when I got out of the sport in 2017, I had this like it, it, like this weight gain that I was like man I'm still eating a lot and I maybe more due to the lack of that extreme activity um and I just had this weird relationship with food after that and I, I still have mm-hmm. a, a very interesting relationship around it yeah I know for me personally like I kind of mentioned I had I in high school was cutting into meats and I don't regret that at all it gave me a, it like all worked out as was. Um, however, coming into college, like I was very much still, um, keeping track of everything like all the time. And I think that that actually added some stress to my first year of college experience because I was so used to that, that the prospect of not being able to do that was stressful. And I found a way to, but after that year, when I moved on to my own place and everything um, associated kind of with like living in your own space, um, I finally got to the point where I no longer felt like I had to be attached to the app of like tracking and every single day, like keeping track of things and kind of getting more to what people would call like intuitive eating and keeping track of certain things at certain times, which is a much healthier way to live. Intuitive eating, I feel like gets me in trouble though. I mean, like I, yeah. I, 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 I have this like, man, I, I, I just ate in like two hours ago and I'm already hungry. Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Let's have some water. Nope. Still hungry, man. Well, technically if the human body can go without food for 30 days. So am I really hungry or Am I just used to eating? Like, is this a trigger for my body? Like, oh, we can have food again, but I don't necessarily need food. And I guess it depends on my goals, right? If I'm trying to cut weight, then okay, just have some more water. Um, mm-hmm. If I am trying to maintain, then maybe eating is an okay. Like listening to that 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 voice or listening to that feeling is probably a good thing. And especially if I'm trying to gain weight, then I should probably just, like just shove down food, right? Yeah, I think, I think 
like you said, sometimes terms are too simplified, which they're, they're terms that that's just how the world works. Like it's marketing, it's things that you hear, it's, you know, you're more likely to read something if it's slightly shorter, things like that. But as with anything else, when there's less words or less expansion, you don't really get the nuance of things. And you are entirely right for like, in terms of if we're going based off of like intuitive eating, that can mean something different for so many different people. And you don't get that nuance just from that like terminology. Right. Um, so that's definitely an area that is very prominent within the fitness space in terms of like reducing words down and kind of, uh, um, having terms that mean certain things versus others, but yeah, you definitely lose some of that nuance there. I think it's helpful for like social media to, to like, you make it short, you make it simple for somebody who's maybe outside of the industry or is not even necessarily in the injury, but also just happens to be like lifting and they like lifting. Um, and like they, they have a coach, they have a dietitian, they have somebody taking care of all these things. They just want to perform, right? They don't care about all the, all, all the nuance at all. And yeah. so to them, it's, they can post it all day and then it's relatable to a large audience of individuals, but really to get down into the weeds of things, it does take, time and, and well it's like well mm-hmm. this it kind of depends right and like it's, right. A, it's a i had a conversation with mike Tashir and we were talking about the like the it depends thing and it's like that is uh, unfortunately the case with a lot of a lot of answers when speaking to a, a large population of people which is why there are coaches that exist which is why there are dietitians like go to these people that have a better understanding have all the data taken blood that, mm-hmm. that have known you for x amount of time like they can pull all this together and then formulate a a thought or formulate a um a hypothesis even then on what to do next right or what the problem may be if there is a problem um, but at the same time, as coaches, we uh, and as those individuals in those roles, the answer it depends to a client that you're working with isn't fair to the client because the dependent variable is sitting in front of you, right? Like you are the dependent mm-hmm. variable. What questions can I ask so that I can give you a better answer than it depends? Yeah. And if that's not, if I cannot provide the answer, how can we? work together to find that answer for you. Absolutely. I think that, um, like you said, that's why you have coaches doing the job and not necessarily like an AI doing the job, you know, like being able to, um, look at things as a whole and ask more questions and help direct is really important. And having that feedback, especially within strength um, training and, uh, strength coaching where, you know, everything in daily life can impact the way that you're performing. Um, asking more questions is definitely like the, a large role there. Oh yeah. And then like educating your clients on how to answer questions as well. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. is this pain? Like I I like the pain one. I think is an easy one that people can relate to. It's, is it sharp pain? Is it adult pain? Is it, um, is it, is it, it has been acute? Is it chronic? Um, does it stay, is is it localized? Um, you know, like all these questions kind of give the individual an answer and then teaching your client what these things mean 
is important. Like, if it's a blunt or like a, if it's a dull pain and we're in the middle of a, a set, maybe not the, it's not that big of a deal, but if it's a sharp pain, we're starting to feel it and it's chronic or even if it's immediately mm-hmm. acute, like it means something. Let's let, let's dive a little bit more into this. Right. Um, all those things matter. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you as a coach, what, what brought you to, wanting to coach i feel like i mean being in the sport i feel like it tends that we end up becoming coaches even if we don't really understand like know that we're being that we're coaches but why Mm -hmm. why the coaching route for me ever since i got my first online coach i which i was 16 at the time actually no 15 and This was like, honestly, the first time I was working with someone one-on-one in this capacity. And after starting with a coach, I saw like changes in my form, like everything that you see as a client, typically changes in your form, improvement in your training, um, not feeling as fatigued in your like workouts, like every single time you go in, Um, of course, depending on the uh, time frame of the block and such, but when I noticed that and I noticed how much it had impact on my life and how powerful it was in so many people's lives, I just from there, I was like, okay, one day I'm going to do it. Cause at that point I was, you know, 16, 17, like at the point that any sort of certification wouldn't take me because I was a minor. Um, And something else that is very important to me is having some element of accreditation towards what you're doing. So before I started, I wanted to be able to um, get experience. I wanted to be able to get some element of accreditation. And um, from there, everything just kind of laid out that way in terms of in high school, I worked as a strength assistant in a local gym. And then, which was basically loading and unloading weights and giving some support, which, hey, we need those people <laughs> in the gym too. Oh, yeah. Um, and then once COVID hit, I took that as the opportunity to, during my summer before sophomore year of college, I took that, I took the ACSM um, certified personal personal trainer test and got that. And that's when I started my own online business and kind of really initiated coaching. I did some in-person work for about two years as a personal trainer. Um, but I've always known that my heart lies with powerlifting and with online training because of the accessibility. It, it is so cool that it's, I feel like it's so hard to do online training, but there just seems to be like one that's way to go because it, it is more accessible, right? You, you can definitely, mm-hmm. it's much more scalable. Um, but it, it's, it's not my forte, you know, I, but I've also never been really, I've never been coached online. So I think maybe if yeah. I had a coach that had coached me online, it would probably give me a better, um, approach or understanding of how to do it i've had i've done it before um but i just i i it's it can be difficult when and i might have never been uh powerlifting clients they've always been just general clients um to have an online coaching presence i feel like the immediate feedback that we can provide as coaches 
is not there. And I, I like that piece of it so much. Cause you're in the gym and you're like, man, this really feels like a nine. And you're like that it's moving like a six. All right. Like, like let's, let's continue to we're we're good. Right. Um, it's, it's that immediate benefit of having to coach there is just so valuable, but then like the scalability is definitely more online. Yeah. But I think you raise a really good point with that in that online coaching isn't for everybody. Um, and neither is in-person coaching. So you kind of have like these spaces often are conflated into the same thing, but in reality, there is an element of separatism that does occur with them. And, um, I think to your point, it definitely, like from my experience, I do think there is an added, um, added task or added challenge with like more general pop, like uh, individuals working online because with powerlifting clients, you have a little bit more of clear cut boundaries, clear cut guidelines, um, in terms of they have to hit depth. They have to, you know, pause that bench with general pop clients. You might have a little bit less of that. They're not necessarily working towards a specific like date. They might be working towards a goal, but like sometimes when it's very finite and like has a end date or end ambition in mind there that can like increase the, um, adherence to. Um, so I think to your point, a lot of times, uh, I found that it is a little bit more difficult to provide the most uh, positive and amped, uh, ample training to a client that's general pop online. It's so hard. And you bring up like so many good points. It's, I think the the date, oddly enough, something that's so simple and, and that means so much, like the goals are entirely different, right? Like there are like, I don't like, I have a client that's like, well, I don't feel safe or confident with getting into the hole yet. And it's like, all right, well, we got to start with uh, boxes and then we're going to slowly reduce those boxes. Well, how did it go today? Well, I'm still feeling a little not confident versus the powerlifting clients. Like, I'm sorry, buddy, but if you want to compete, then you got to hit depth. You got, you got to drop. And it's like, okay, like you, you have to, and that could be like a mobility issue that we're going to continue to work on. Um, if it's confident, then we're just going to like light pause squats. Like we can work around it. We know what we're working with, but a general population client is they, I don't know. I'm just lifting what what do you like what are your goals i just want to look better and it's like oh man like it, it's like the, the their performance um markers almost they they don't exist almost like it's, it's a hard pretty, to keep track of it is so hard to keep track of mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think that typically with that you also have more not always but more rapid changes that you do need that in-person feedback or at least more immediate feedback. Um, and with that said, that that's why a lot of times you do see people in the online space, I think, uh, niching down into certain areas and um, kind of choosing what they are focusing on because when you just do take more like general population, kind of just using that term as a a huge umbrella, 
you do take clients um, under that umbrella, it goes sometimes outside of what your barriers are normally um, to track these markers, like you were saying. Yeah, that's fun. Um, so how did you find the strength, guys? Ooh, good question. Yeah, I like that question. Um, so I actually, this is a really funny story because when I was in high school applying to colleges, I actually was looking, this is really ironic too, if you know the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> most people do. I <laughs> was looking at going to Ohio State because partially because they had a big powerlifting team. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I reached out to Jason because he was the one listed on like, cause they had a partnership with the Ohio state university it, providing their programming TSG. And I was like, Hey, like I'm interested in checking it out. And he forwarded me to John, John Downing, who is the, um, who worked with the team at the time, I believe. And I got to go tour the facilities. That was my first, uh, introduction to Jason and the strength guys. However, fast forward to sophomore year of college, I had decided to depart from my previous coach and look for new opportunities. And when I was doing my like coaching um, investigation, I guess, or search <laughs> for someone, I found the strength guys through just Honestly, like, I think it was just all their athletes that they have, probably Taylor Atwood. Um, and just when looking at like the website and the professionalism, I was really like intrigued because something that I do with my own business, but as well that I really appreciate is um some that they come across as very professional and keep it that way. It's consistent. It's professional and are making like the whole thing, um, come across that. So I appreciated that. I also appreciated the price transparency because I think that's something that you don't always see with, um, coaches and I'm not a huge fan of not having price transparency. So at that point I reached out and that's how I got introduced. Jason is still my coach to this day. I also got the opportunity to go through their internship in the summer of 2021 and now I'm a coach for them. That is so cool. What a fun what a fun story. They yeah. it seems like they're just like picking up so many coaches. Like they're growing so fast it seems like. Yeah, I'm really excited for the prospects because I think Jason's also my mentor, but like on a whole, like seeing all of the different things that uh, he has put together with TSG, it's super exciting. And I know it's only going to continue to progress. Oh, yeah. So what what style of coaching do like it seems that the strength guys allows for a, a the coach to be their own individual and their have their own style with with like a set of standards, right? So what are you, if I had you as a, as a, as a, as a coach, what is Juliana doing? That's going to be like, what are your methods of, of, of training? Yeah. So I 
tend to fall under utilizing like daily undulating periodization. Um, oftentimes, honestly, though, I would say that I'm pretty adaptable to where the athlete is at because I have had a lot of people come who are come to me who are brand new, never power lifted, but want to. And you're going to treat, well, maybe not treat them differently, but you're going to treat their programming differently than you're going to treat somebody who's been doing this for, you know, six plus years and um, like applying training practices that way. For sure. I think that besides that, though, I have the advantage of utilizing a lot of the different um, form analysis tools in like creating that connection with my athletes that just kind of make it comfortable to um, share how things are going and like having that positive coach client relationship. But yeah, primarily that daily undulating uh, periodization, excuse me. And, uh, but it depends on the athlete for sure. Where do you plan? Like, where do you see yourself growing in this industry? Like, do you want to stay a powerlifting coach, or is your goal to go? I know you said education. You alluded to education a little while ago. Do you want to be a professor? Like, what does that what does that look like long term for you? That's a wonderful question, um, and I think I don't think I have a solid like answer right now for it um, because. I know that there are a lot of different opportunities and a lot of different areas for me to grow in. And I'm very fortunate for that. However, ever since I was 16 or 17, I've seen myself coaching and I don't see that ever changing. Now, whether that's in the capacity where I'm um, only coaching a few people at once, or if it's in the capacity of it being my full-time job, um, I would be very happy with either. But as a quick side note, something that I really think is lacking in the strength coach or online strength coach space are um, female strength coaches, because I think oftentimes there is an element of not necessarily encouragement of like getting out of the field, but rather there's so much competition um, from other or, uh, like comparatively. So I think that part of me is also like, I know that my representation matters. And I think that having more female strength coaches in the space is very important. I think that it is important. I think it gives people like like yourself when you were first starting gave you gives somebody else to look at. You're like, oh man, this, this can be a thing, right? I can I can be a powerlifter. Like I saw another lady doing that thing. Now I can also potentially do that thing, or you inspire another um, upcoming coach. It's like, oh man, she's coaching. Like maybe I can coach too, right? It doesn't matter if I'm coaching men or women, but like as long as I'm a good coach, then I can do this job. Um, and I think that there is there is definitely a lot of competition as th- as this sport continues to grow. You have a lot of people kind of trying to dabble in and, t- and take their take their space um, individually and as at, through companies, right? Like you mm-hmm. have several large groups that are that are really that have existed for a while now. Um, reactive training systems. You have you have the strength guys. 
Uh, Chad Wesley Smith has been pretty big in the space, mm-hmm. right? You have Elite FTS. Like you have a lot of different large groups that are pushing forward. Um, I want to know what like Jason's long-term goal is, or like five-year goal for what the Strength Guys is. Are we only ever coaching? Are we offering like Elite FTS ended up started to do their own equipment, right? They they had all this or their own education educational material. Like, is that what it is going to be long-term for? the strength guys, you know, it's just uh, a question. Yeah. Um, and I think that, well, rather, I know that it's not always going to only be coaching, but, um, I think something that Jason and the strength guys really care about is, um, education and betterment of like the sport as a whole. So, you know, Right now, that means taking on younger uh, coaches to continue everything. That means um, continuing their uh, partnership with, I think it's called Live for Life, um, mm-hmm. th- like do- donations towards that. Yep. And that also means, um, you know, having this mentorship program. But what I'll say is that. I think I believe that the mentorship program will become more in depth, become something that people can um, sign up for and actually learn how to be a coach. And I think overall that both speaks to um, the goal of improving the space and offering education and my own personal goal of making it more accessible for um individuals that might otherwise be turned away from the coaching space. I think that it would be like, I started to do, I started to work at a, at a new gym. I moved to Las Vegas, Nevada just recently or Anderson, Nevada, which is right mm-hmm. next to Las Vegas. And I started working with um, the, a UFC associated gym and work. I, I had the opportunity to work with other coaches and taking the role of an assistant fitness director. Um, I'm like teaching coaches how to be coaches and it's the coolest thing, you know, like yeah. it's kind of stepping out a little bit and no longer having as many training sessions or clients, but then like walking through somebody, well, these are the questions we ask and this is why we ask them. Like they're, whenever they say this, we look at these things. You know, it's just, it's just like, it's the funnest thing to coach somebody to hopefully so that hopefully they can be successful in the field and then have an established name and then they can go and either coach coaches or because it's I feel like it's all very similar it is because whenever I have a client I'm coaching or teaching them how to do a thing and that skill is so transferable to any industry even if you don't stay a coach if you go Mm -hmm. out you end up being a I think it makes you a good parent like honestly I think it's if you can, if you are a good coach, then you're most likely going to be a good parent. And the reason I think I believe that is, I think you're a little more patient. You know how to communicate effectively, and understand that there's a long term goal here as well as the short term goals as well. I think I think it's so cool. Sorry about that. Oh, you're um, good. Y- yeah, I 100 percent agree. Uh, that's partially why I also. It, have just kind of fallen within the education space a little bit more. Um, I'm at the point where I'm thinking about doing like a uh, master's then PhD, but part of that is I have just found that that enjoyment in teaching 
And what is coaching? That's essentially teaching. What is raising a kid? In some ways, like I haven't experienced it, but I'm sure in some ways it's teaching. So like there is that element of overlap between all of these different things. I've even found that some of the skills that I learned I previously was a crisis counselor for crisis text line, just like as a volunteer thing. You're breaking up. Some of those, what, sorry? I said you're breaking up a little bit, but there you go. You're back. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was previously a crisis counselor for crisis text line. And some of the skills there that I learned just to apply in that type of setting, I still use when I'm talking to a client. Um, Granted, it's a little bit tailored, but... The Like you said, all of this is transferable skills, which is a huge asset. My only maybe issue with this, with being a coach is I I used to, I used to work in the real estate industry and still kind of am, I guess in, in some sort of way, but there was, you know, as coaching or as coaches, very transparent with, with TSGs, I think it's like 250 a month, right? Something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very flat and just what it is versus if I was selling a house or building a house, a project, then it was $350,000 per unit, right? Versus each one of my units in coaching is 250 bucks a month. And like the long, like it depends on the lifestyle I think that you're looking for at times, right? If, if you're, if you're cool with living a little bit more uh, lean, then I think coaching can can be that for 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 the most part. I think that I mean, if if you have several coaches under you, um, then you can obviously you, you know you scale even more. Um, but it's sometimes for me, I look at it and I'm like, man, dude, like coaches need to be being paid like a hundred thousand plus a year, especially as things get more expensive. It just seems like it's so hard to be able to exist. And like, I, I like to travel, right? I like to go out to eat. I like to buy, I, I like to go to whole foods every once in a while and buy something fun at whole foods, right? Like I don't like to just go to Walmart every single time and not to say that Walmart's bad, but it's, like there are certain luxuries that you get whenever you do go to a Whole Foods where I can get a, a I don't know, like a fucking a wild black wild rice. I like black wild rice. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I have that luxury at Walmart. And if I do, then I just I'm going to the wrong Walmart. Um, but like if the the lifestyle that coaching provides, not for all coaches, but for a lot of coaches, I feel like is is insufficient in my opinion. And again, it depends on the individual's own goals and, and other things. But like for some reason, I've always seen it more as a side gig and less of a like long-term um, career really. Mm-hmm. I think, I believe that is a really good conversation that needs to be had more in this space though, because it takes two in that realm. Um, it takes both the coach and the client. I think that a lot of people look at certain price points and are like, that's ridiculous. Like, why would anybody ever pay that amount? And then other people will look at it like you're not charging enough. Um, and then you have to like stick, you have to go to your, uh, um, target audience in like what's what's the what is the competition 
you know, charging. And I do think eventually it will become more of a, um, Hey, this is like an actual occupation kind of like, um, full time, but I can definitely agree that there is some space for growth there. Now, if we're comparing real estate to, uh, strength coaching that's i i come from my my uh family is in or previously was in building and construction and landscaping and snow removal all very highly lucrative things um so i can understand where you're coming from with that and i don't know if like honestly like you said i don't know if it will ever compare to that but there is the element of um you know, what is going to work best for the lifestyle you're going for and like the motility potentially either or as well, if um, you're someone that doesn't necessarily want to be in one place at once or all the time, like then, you know, maybe like maybe coaching or maybe online sector stuff is the way to go because then you can move around. But yeah highly depends on individual interests, but I am hoping that the space grows in that way. It's probably one of the, I have two like extremely frustrating points about this industry. And one of them is definitely the fact that like most coaches, especially in strength and conditioning, don't get paid nearly as much. I, you know, I, I remember listening to, I, I was at Texas A&M for my undergrad. And as I got more into the, what I thought coaching was and how it could make it like what I can do with the, with the industry. Um, I remember there was a, a, a lady there who had been coaching for like 30 years and her take home, you know, it, it's a public university. It, 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 you can, you can look at what people are making was something like $42,000 a year. And yeah. the, they're the earliest and stays the latest. The keys to the gym needs to open, needs to close. And the, um, the the wealth of knowledge that's needed in order to create a solid athlete is is vast, right? You need to understand the psychology. You need to understand each relative sport, and then the long term goals of the sport. Um, you need to understand the physiology, the neuromuscular training. You, like, there's so there, the, the the physics, the biomechanics. All of these things, and, and not even in the anatomy, I'm not even close to how much you have to understand. And then to be a person, like to be personable enough to be in that position and then write the programming, lead a team, you're telling me that's worth $42,000 a year? I mean, get the fuck out of here. That's not that's not okay, right? And then I understand that football brings a lot of attention, and but, but the same coach on the football world who had to do one sport was making something in the realm of like, 10 to 20 million dollars a year and yeah. i was like this is fucking madness like you can't give a hundred thousand dollars a year extra to this one person to live a life that's still one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year is not luxurious like it's not bad but it's not yeah. like you're living a 10 million dollar lifestyle you know like right. houses are more expensive groceries are more expensive traveling is expensive like it it really is something that that really irks me because the people that really do love the sport and or love the like I love coaching I love coaching kids mm-hmm. like the I love it I, I was the director of a kids camp for a, a short period of time loved it but then you look at 
how much this is paying me and the, 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 for the value that I'm bringing and the, the payment that I'm getting, there, there's, there's a disconnect. And mm-hmm. just because I, people say, do what you love and you'll never work a day. Well, I'm, I'm working, man. Like I'm working my ass off mm-hmm. and I love it, but I can, I can't, I couldn't have never afforded, uh, afford to, to buy a house as fast as I did. Right. It would have taken me so much longer, especially with my spending habits. I, again, I like to go out, right. I, I, I get it, but yeah. I was able to go out more and still buy a house when I was in real estate. It's, you know, like it, it just, it's so freaking frustrating. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that you bring up the uh, example of uh, someone within the university sports world, because actually one of the classes that I was helping teach yesterday um, at the end of it, we were, they were talking about athletic counseling at this point. And at the end of it all, we, um, myself and a, uh, another or a graduate student, were like, okay, but how much do they get paid? And we looked it up. And sure enough, thirty six thousand dollars. And then you look at how much the athletic director gets paid. Almost two million. And it's it. I I um, empathize and relate to your frustration. Um, and it's one of those things I hope strides are taken to improve it. Um, and I think some of that is people, the audience also recognizing the worth uh, as well as the employer or, you know, if we're talking about like a university recognizing that. And I think we are starting to move forward in that space, but also what like gets the attention it's typically the coach or you know whatever um with those larger sports um but yeah hopefully hopefully we move into that i i hope so but i mean 36 yeah like $36,000 a year i couldn't raise a family on that you know like i've made $30,000 a year and there's no way you can like you're you're forever living in an apartment, mm-hmm. and I I would I would have had to been on if I had kids I would have had to have been on assistance, and like it's just it's it's so sad it's so frustrating it's just but like edu- educators tend to be some of the the lowest paid people in our society especially around the health and fitness area where. Mm-hmm. Like physical education is getting they they got rid of recess right like it's it's not something that's very highly valued in our society. It it's valued, but it's not. People don't want to work for it, right? They don't want to have to pay for it. It should be like, yeah, just give me the pill, right? Get, what what do I need to take? Do I need to take some fin fin? You know, like is, is yeah. that what I gotta do? All right, done. And then that's and then that's that's all they want, right? Like it, it's just like the the value that you provide for 250 bucks a month you're changing this person you're decreasing their risk for long-term osteoporosis right at the very least Mm -hmm. i'm sorry but how much is that going to cost you when you're 50 60 70 years old or you have a broken hip and that's your number one reason for death like that's that's a large part of the reason people get hospitalized in their older age it's a broken hip right and i'm gonna do i'm gonna help you fix that now so you don't ever get to that point where you can move and play with your kids that's more than $30,000 a year. I think 
I think we're getting at a much larger issue with that one too. Um, in that, and this might just be my, uh, qualms or my thoughts with it, but, um, I think that that is indicative partially of like the uh, United States culture as a whole in that it's a lot of let's just fix the problems later or let's um, it's not preventative. Like you, a lot of times when I'm looking at um, graduate schools and looking at their programs for research a lot of the programs, if not almost all of them, are based in how do we how do we um, fix X after it's happened. There's very little like preventative performance things like that. When I start to find that type of like research or that type of research realm, it honestly does tend within at least exercise science. I can't speak to everything. Um, it does tend to fall into other countries like Australia or um, Great Britain. And I'm not saying I don't know anything about some of those cultures, but it's just an observation that I've noticed that even down to the research level and who gets the money for the research here tends to be more, let's address the problem after the fact more so than preventative. I feel like the preventatives we we kind of know, right? Like, for the most part, it is pretty simple, right? Like, kiss, right? keep it simple, stupid. It, it's mm-hmm. move more than you consume and eat more at home. Like, even if you mm-hmm. eat a lot, like, eat more at home. Cook for yourself. Make your own meals. Be around the table and and consume together, right? Like those family values are just. I feel like they're 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 harder to find. And even if that family isn't necessarily immediate family, but it's like friends, you know. Like I sat at the table the other day with two roommates and then my fiance. We're just we're sitting there, just enjoying the meal together and talking about our days. And like I feel like that was so hard to find, even in college. Like I didn't. It was hard to get that, you know. And it's it. I think it provides a lot of value and understanding on like, just it makes you feel good. You eat slower. If you eat slower, then you you know your ghrelin is it, it's ghrelin, right? The ghrelin is the is the hunger hormone. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, and it's countered by what's the other one? Leptin. Thank you. Um, so then leptin is able to react and tell you, okay, like you're not as hungry anymore. Oh, I only had one plate instead of three because I'm watching. I'm not watching TV. Like. Right. It is just so much more of this. These are the problems, and let's try to fix them. But we are we we already let's fix the problem, not let let's fix the symptom and not the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's again, yeah, I, I I hate it. <laughs> yeah, you can see why I couldn't give you a, a clear uh, answer with regards to. Uh, what what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. (laughs) Still figuring that part out. It's hard, man. Like it's just, it's so, it's so much more difficult than it needs to be. And, and a lot of research is in the U S more fixing, fixing the symptoms and not the problem, but that's, that's Mm -hmm. where money's made because then now you can make pills or Mm -hmm. now you can make, you can, you know, you can make some sort of pharmaceutical that, that is very profitable. And then you, 
selling your out, right? And and what did you really do, right? Was it really that beneficial, mm-hmm. or did you, or did you even fix a a symptom, or are you create you you maybe masked a symptom and you're creating yeah. new ones, right? It's like you didn't do anything. You just continue to open up more doors for research for yourself. So you can get more grants, you know, like it's, yeah, it, it is hard to decide. It, and I think that it's less and less talked about. It's not less and less, but it's, it's, it's not as talked about as, as, as much as I would like, cause it's a little taboo, right? We don't like money's taboo. Um, but coaching is just, it's so, so not, not okay in, in terms of the, the financial strain that it puts on, on individuals. Yeah, I think that that's partially what interests me so much with my uh, history minor, because it was talking about medicine and how we got to where we were, where we are today, or like the mental health space in terms of like, what has that looked like over the years? But even I know I took class about like, ancient Chinese medicine, and like, it like, being able to look at some of these other culture, like uh, ways of going about things and like the, the, the uh, stigma that we often lay on anything that's not Western um, is like something to think about too. When we think about these types of research uh, things that are going on and how recent they are. I think that you, you know, you brought up a good point of that the, all these other programs um that that maybe would be more in line with with your 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 method of of wanting to do research tend to be overseas and it's made me think like the more that i continue to live in in this country and yeah i get i'm young and it's still a wonderful country don't get me wrong there's a lot of opportunity here i get that um it's um it just seems that there are places like the Copenhagen Institute that provide some really solid research. And yeah, I mean, even like Auckland University of Technology, where Eric Helms is like, they do a ton of uh, much more uh, deep dive preventative, like what's going to help. That's just a exercise science example, but mine's also an exercise. science. Yeah, it's, it makes me think like, do, do, does somebody move out of the States? Like I visited several, like, I think going to worlds, like it gets you out and we visit in other countries, but even outside of that, like I, I've traveled out a, a bit and like learning about different cultures has been like, man, the United States seems kind of weird. You know, I went to Costa Rica for a little bit and this guy was a fisherman and he, or, like he was, a, he was a skiff mate. He didn't even, he didn't even own the boat. He was just a skiff mate. And he was like, man, I just moved into the new apartments. They're 550 bucks a month. And they're like super modern. I was paying for something similar while I was in college. I was paying like $1,200 a month. And he's like, I can pay my rent in probably like a week if that. And then outside of that, I just go to the store and I just hang out with my friends. And it's just like, what a different life. It, like you, you, you completely removed himself out of this rat race that, that America is. And it's, it's weird. Yeah, I know something that took time for me to get used to when I was in Italy was just like how slow things were in terms of um, there wasn't necessarily a hurry. Like you sit down, they're not going to bring you your check to leave 
um, from dinner until you ask for it. It's not a hurry to get you out of there. The uh, You don't have to tip because they make a living wage. Um, like at like service uh, workers. And um, I think that all, I think something that's important as people like decide what they're doing or like look at opportunities is not necessarily limiting themselves to um, their current location for lack of better terms. Um, I think that there, like you said, there are a lot of opportunities and they're not always just where you're at. So kind of like um, keeping this in mind as people look at their futures, what's important to them and um, the type of lifestyle they want. Cause I can, I can definitely say that I already know that when my significant other listens to this podcast, he's going to be like, Oh yeah. She tells me every other day about how she wants to move somewhere else. So <laughs> I could tell you that we're speaking my language right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I visited like Spain was a, an amazing visit and a much more, um, much more developed than I think I initially thought. Even even Morocco, I went to Morocco, much more developed mm-hmm. than I initially thought. And things are slower, and it's just like, what? Why are we rushing so much for like for what? Right? Like like right? Stop and smell the roses, kind of idea. But it's like really, they're they're you're you're stepping over people and like just in this gnarly mood just because you think you're like on this, this track of, of accomplishing goals when like you, you could have maybe accomplished them and maybe a, a couple years longer, but you would have had a much more fulfilling life, you know, like it's at the same time, it does, it did motivate me to start a podcast, right? Like it, it does motivate me to, to get out and I, I moved to Las Vegas for, for more opportunity, right? Like it, there is value to it. I get it, but it's also, it's so, um, the speed is so indoctrinated. Yeah. Like, and I think that that's one of the values that I think is beneficial of, for, for people to like experience other cultures, because a lot of times it is in that way. Like you said, like it's, it's often not, I know even, even down to the, um, country up North with Canada, like, when I was in Calgary for worlds, as well as when I was in Calgary for just a vacation, like it never granted, I wasn't like, you know, venturing everywhere in like their work districts and stuff. But even down to that, like feeling of urgency there, I did not experience, which is not something I can always say here. So um, just opens up different thought processes. where Where do you currently live? I'm uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Imagine being in like the middle of New York City, like oh, that would be even faster. <laughs> exactly, like, we're talking about. I like, can't it even being imagine that. Fast, and I could not even imagine, mm-hmm. dude. I mean, it's. I know when I was in Rome, that it felt fast because of how many tourists there were, and myself included. But um, yeah. just. Yeah, I can't even imagine how New York would be. 
I don't know, man. I, I think, you know, I said that there was two things that I'm frustrated with about the, the coaching industry. And one of them is that, and I can't remember the other one, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I hope that it, I hope that it comes back to my mind, but that's a big one. Um, and hopefully it is something that, that changes um, more short term than long. Uh, but at the very least it does get like the coaching industry does get to teach you on how to interact with people and mm-hmm. it builds confidence on like how to educate and, um, being confident to, I, I, I used to coach like group classes and it's like, you got to stand up in front of people and then like lead them. And what that does to somebody, I think it does provide a lot of good confidence building tools. Um, and maybe it's not for everyone, but I would at least encourage people to either get themselves a coach and understand what it be, what it is to get in, in have for that person to be in that space and the value they provide. But at the same time, try it out. Like even at, like, Go coach like your local softball thing, right? Like go coach um, – if you have a church, go and try to coach a, a soccer league with some kids. Like it's so fulfilling and and it, you just – you can change people's lives, you know? Like I had coaches that, that have changed my life and I think we underestimate what exactly a coach does provide and and at all levels. Like it's it's massive. I, I totally agree. I, my life track quite literally did a 180 when I hired a coach. Cause I was like, wow, this is really cool. At some point I'd like to do this. And, um, you know, Jason's my coach today. He's also my mentor, also like my boss or my employer, whatever you want to say. And like all of that wouldn't have happened had I not hired my first coach. Like it's, and I've learned so much from each of, I've had three coaches total at this point. Um, and I've learned so much from each one of them and each one has had so much value in my life. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And to this day, like I wouldn't be the coach I am without them. And I also probably like wouldn't enjoy it nearly as much as I do. Um, because I just have found the enjoyment so much in seeing um uh, my clients succeed and um accomplish their goals game days are always super fun um but yeah it's it's a interesting space it is um oh man you said something that was really good um i think even coaches as like again coaches are educators we said and even having even if you're listening to this podcast and I do have a, a, a wide range of people that I've interviewed and so not everybody's in the powerlifting space, but um, having a coach that is a, um, a business coach, right? Like having a, having a life coach, have, like in, I, mm-hmm. I, I go to a therapist, right? So that's my, that's my life coach. Yeah. Um, but like, as I continue to get more into business, I'm like, man, I, I, I need a business coach, right? And I, yeah, I need, I need a, a coach who, who I, I've, I haven't had a coach in a very, very long time for powerlifting, but having a coach in business is something that I'm like, I, I got to hurry up and get on it. Right. Cause you need a team ultimately like you need a team of people if you want to succeed in something, right? Like how can we take from what we learn in powerlifting and apply it to a larger scale of things? And I think we touched on a couple of, of big ones it's like community, maybe slowing down a little bit. Um, what, what value educators bring and how we can influence other people. Um, and 
like taking that into like you you need a team of people of coaches nutritionists psychologists whatever whatever it is friends that mentors like like that jason provides a lot of those things but it's also like if i am trying to exist as a human inside of a business space i need a cpa i need a ceo right or if i am the ceo then i need a board of advisors i need these people around me that are ultimately going to make me be my best business, be my best self if this is what I want to do. And so I think even like in powerlifting, I've met a lot of people that weren't necessarily, they, they were, they were powerlifters in the moment, but they weren't like, that's not all they did. A lot of times we got to meet like some of these like super cool engineers, um, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, business owners, and like getting down to sit and talk with them was really why I liked this idea. It's like, who else are you? Cause you're not just a power lifter. You're not just a coach. Like you are a, a human with a lot of different perspectives and the sport and the, the effort they have to go through in, in powerlifting, it, the utmost like detail that transfers over into our, nor our, our, our other lives of educators of like these bigger picture items, business owners that we can take from and then influence others and have a high standard of success, right? Like if you have a high standard of quality of, of movement, if I look at somebody's squat and I want their squat to look beautiful and we work on it, we get it down, we work on all the mobility, like that's the same amount of effort and work that it takes to be successful in a business. Like I need to be that detail oriented to do that, but I need somebody who's educated that can help me to do that thing. Yeah. I think one of my favorite like quotes or uh, pieces of advice that I've ever been given actually was by my therapist. So I can relate to that. Um, she said to me, one person can't be everything. And I think that that is something you can apply in every single life scenario. You can't put all the, in in some cases, it might be more uh, mental health related. You can't put all the burden on one person. Some places it might be, I can't do it all by myself. And I think that that was something that really intrigued me uh, with the strength guys was this premise of an interdisciplinary team and not like not having the ego of, oh, I can do it all by myself. Like I don't need to have anybody else. Um, having this ability to admit like, Hey, I don't have the answer. Let me talk to this person on our team who had, who might, or let me refer to you them and let's all work together. Like we're seeing more and more of these interdisciplinary teams, um, occur both within fitness and outside. And I think that's a added value, like you said. And like I mentioned, one person can't be everything. So having um, a few different people on the team, having a few different people as your um, mentors or your uh, educators, whatever you want to say, is certainly an asset and just helps streamline um, learning experiences a little bit more. Uh, and like you said, you can apply different things from different fields. My family is not at all in sports, full background in, uh, in automotive and, um, 
landscaping and snow removal and building, like nothing related. However, to this day, I can walk into a foundation of a house or like the scaffolding and be like, huh, isn't this interesting how this relates to like the baseline growth of building a foundation on like with an athlete, like just random things like that, that you'd never even parallel. So it is very cool. And I think we're seeing more of those types of teams as well as people with different experiences um, continue to share their experiences, which is important. Like if you think about, like, I, I didn't know anything about building a house. I had a master's in exercise phys and I was building houses. Right. And why I think all my projects continuously came under budget. They, they were, I had really good reviews. Like, everything was, was really quite nice. And I managed a lot of uh, previous issues that I was uh, working with. Um, why it was, I gave the trust of the people that knew more than me to do the job better than me. Right. Like, I can give trust to my cleaning crew. Hey, I need two extra hours to do this job. Okay, cool. Like, I don't know, but you know, so why am I going to like, I need it done. And now that doesn't give me a good feeling. That doesn't give them a good feeling. I, I know that if my, if I, I can choose one of my four framers, I know this framer is a little faster and provides good work and is responsive I go with that guy every single time there's not even gonna be a question about it if i have a coach who's that same way i'm gonna go with that guy every single time he's more responsive mm-hmm. he gives me a good product and if we need to change something they're willing to change it and it's like give trust to the people that are around you that know more than you and you will be successful right like i all i had to do was show up treat my people well and pay them well yeah. and it's like hey man i gotta clean it again like i, I my, like my cleaners were probably the biggest ones it's like ben we like we have to come back and clean again okay, charge me double. I don't care. Like if that's what you need to do in order to accomplish the job and you can't finish it today, or you need to come back tomorrow, whatever it is, that's fine. Do whatever is going to be best for you in that moment. And let me kind of like, I will sit in the back and cut, cut a check all day. So long as you continue to provide the thing that you're providing. Now, if you're not, then we're going to find somebody new, right? Like, and not no hard feelings, not personal. I still love you as a person, but don't lie to me, right? Like, don't, like now we're not having a good, now that you're going to sell other trades. Now you're going to, it's, you need a team of people. Yeah. Yeah. You need to trust your team. Yeah. And, and you brought up a good one too. take care of them. I think that that's a big thing that a lot of people don't realize is like people are not disposable. And like you said, if things are not being offered, if there are problems, obviously you move on. But like being able to support um, individuals and take care of them to uh, the capacity that's you know warranted within like payment or whatever um, is definitely something to keep in mind. That's something that I have been very fortunate to learn from, uh, like my dad, who is d- does. Uh, like I said, all of that. Um, and like, I keep that in mind as I go through my own business practices, as well as, as I deal with other businesses, I guess is probably the terms. Like you said it earlier in the podcast, um, about just going up and saying, hi, how's your day? How are you? Like, um, like asking them their name or whatever it is like that's, that small thing can change people's day. And that's another part of taking care of people. 
It is like I loved going onto a job site. Like you get like if it's my job site, it's like people would, oh shit, the boss is here, and it's like mm, shut the fuck, like play your music, dude. Like calm down. Like I'm just checking to see what's going on. Like, you guys need anything? Are we all good? You guys need any lunch? Like what can I do for y'all? And then they're like, who is this guy? Right? Versus you walk in with somebody who doesn't act that way, and like they're yelling at their people, and it's like that's you, uh, somebody said it you. You can win more bees with honey than you can vinegar, mm-hmm. right? And it's like yeah. you can consider it manipulative if you really wanted to, but if I, but if that if that's manipulative, treating people well so that they do a good job, and that we both have better lives, if you want to consider, yeah. that, then all right, consider it manipulative all you want. I think that's yeah. a win for everybody. You know, like I get paid, they get paid, their lives are good. Like, like I wanted to take like. I would rather pay somebody double so that they don't go work for somebody else. Like I want you because you're so good. Like I'm going to pay you to stick around, you know, like whatever mm-hmm. you need, you know, like, or how are the kids? Those things too. It's like, get to learn your people. Like, Oh man, I loved it. I loved it. It was so cool. Yes. That's a fun thing of just all like also with, uh, working in education or like working with clients is like you get to know people to some capacity and um like that i agree that's one of my favorite things you know and you never you again you never know who you're going to impact and and you never know who you're going to come across and so you never know what somebody's going through right like some people just have a like in really rough state some people are going through some really i was going through some really rough times and there's Dr. Lightfoot at Texas A&M that I will forever cherish for the rest of my life because of the way he treated me, helping me any way he could. Like I just, those, those people you want to keep around and, and you just never know, you know, you just, you never know Mm -hmm. what somebody's going through. Absolutely. Big proponent of that. (laughs) Juliana, before we get off here, um, Thank you for your time. I, I, I very much thank so appreciate you. it. I feel like I talked a lot, but thank you so much for, for offering us your story. And, and it's, it's very, very um, meaningful. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. This is actually the first uh, podcast opportunity that I've had. So I, I, I hold this close to my heart and really appreciate it. Um, yeah. But thank you. Of course. Um, you already gave us one piece of advice, but I think that everybody has like some sort of piece of advice. What do you want to leave us with? Like one, just where can people find you? Like what were your ads or your coaching stuff? If you are taking clients um, and then whatever you, you want to leave us with in, in, in your own little monologue here. And then I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording and we'll stay on the call. Yeah. So just to start off where you can find me, uh, I primarily use Instagram. My Instagram is just Juliana King. Um, spelled with two N's and um, normal King with an underscore. So Juliana King underscore. And I also, if you want to get in contact with me via email, that's just Juliana at the strength guys.com. But to leave you with a small piece of advice, one of my favorite uh, quotes or one of my favorite things that I've ever shared with some of my classes and continue to keep in mind to this day for myself is just to give yourself grace and to meet you where you're at. So what I mean by that is um, don't be too harsh on oneself and to meet yourself where you're currently at and 
other people's 10, other people's chapter 10 is not necessarily your chapter one. So keeping that in mind as you go throughout your um, strength journeys or mental health journeys, whatever that looks like for uh, individuals listening. In terms of clients, I am currently taking clients. So if anybody's interested in reaching out or working with me, feel free, like I said, to reach out to me or to just head over to thestrengthguys.com um, and that they'll direct you to me. Thank you for listening to the Ben Navarro's podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. 